I think it's important just to point your compass towards joy. And play like you, be like you, and don't overthink it. So we basically shot an entire episode yes. before even pressing record. We've spoken about... Well, we've spoken about a lot of things lot. that we can't talk about on here, but yes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's just how it goes. That's how it goes. Good to see you, man. Mate, good to see you too. I feel like I've been through the wars as of late. So for, for the listeners, if there's up. a little delay on if yeah, if there's a little delay on this episode, it's my bad, right? I after doing like a pop-up shop in London with Paragon, which went really well. Explain what a pop-up shop is. All right, so we did a shop for two days in Soho. In so and Soho is like the cool part of London where you got Supreme, you've got all the cool shops. Basically, we we were like next to Cole Buxton, and yeah, it was cool. So we did a shop for Saturday and Sunday. Went really well. On the Monday, woke up and I started to feel a little bit dodgy. Uh, got food poisoning again. Oh I've got food poisoning when we recorded the Buster stuff, and I got it again, mate. I was so so bad, and then. Two days after having food poisoning, I had one of my big teeth, well, one of my big tooths, teeths out at the back of my mouth, which honestly, so my dentist is my brother-in-law, my wife's brother. And I said, look, mate, will I be all right? I've got to teach at this drum camp called Freddie G, right? I've got to teach for two days straight. I can't be, uh, I can't be numb in the mouth. Right. I can't be sore and I can't be having weird lisps. Shit, yeah. yeah. Like, I can't be doing... I've got to be can't on be whistling point. on accident. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I'm I'm one of those guys that is very paranoid about breath anyway. Always got chewing gum in right. like you, you know? Yeah, you and I... Especially when you're teaching. The first thing we did on, like, our all of our road trips, we just pull over to the side and we get about 96 pieces of gum in assorted flavors. Okay. It's got to be yeah. done. It's got to be done. <laughs> so I was like, man, am I going to be all right? And he said, yeah, yeah, you'll, you'll be absolutely fine. Long story short, people, I was not... <laughs> Uh, and it's only, and it's taken me until Friday the fourth, like two weeks later, to feel somewhat human again. So my wow. bad on the delay for the episode here, but I'm back to normal and uh, hopefully have no more teeth out and I can start eating again, which Ooh. is wicked. Well, it's just a great way to lose weight. Man, it is exactly. Tour's coming up. <laughs> you got to look. Trim. I saw Charlie, but I saw Charlie today, right? And uh, Charlie's the singer and guitar player of the band I play for, and he's on keto and he's on. 24 really? hour fast right now and then you know, he is either in or completely out he seems out. very when, in or out yeah yes and he is doing he's on 10 grams of carbs a day which is basically a piece of ice if 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 accidentally a, a a sliver of sugar fell on that piece of ice that's 10 carbs wow mate and so he's like full he does this before every tour is just like they it's either keto or I'm eating pizza and ice cream. I kind of understand that. Like, I mean, it's not a healthy way to live. I don't recommend it for anybody, but no. basically you get to be the drummer. Awesome. You might every once in a while get roped into a few things, a couple other guys, but Charlie's going to be doing an interview or 20 every single day. And back mm -hmm. in the day, you would give people, here's our press pack. Here's our EPK, our electronic press kit. Here's all the photos of Charlie. Here's the photos of the band everything you can use these photos and then we'll do an interview and you write the interview. Now they're going to film the whole thing and you're not yeah. in control of the lighting. You're not in control of like, I mean, I've had times where I'm like, what, what Android is that? And they're like, Oh, <laughs> so I wasn't able to get an Android, but this is the hallway 6180 that came out in 2006. And I'm like, <laughs> sweet. 
I'm going to look like a gif. I'm going to look like a gif. <laughs> yeah, I know. it's rough. Uh, so anyways, uh, I, I kind of understand from his point of view, it's almost like high school reunion. Like, uh, they haven't seen me in 15 years. All right, mm-hmm. I'm gonna just gonna I'm gonna lose 46 pounds in the next three days. Mate, exactly. It's like you get on Google and you say how to get in shape with minimal effort in five working yes, days. Do you know exactly. what I mean? Everyone's every, everyone's done it. One boiled egg a day, a bit of spinach for breakfast, then you're off. all good. Um, I'm totally straight edge, but when it comes to losing weight, if you got to do like a kilo of coke, I get it. Like, dude, just do what you got to do. Just be racing around the place, burning metabolism left and right. Oh, good times. How you been, mate? How you been? Dude, I've been good. Um, so finishing up sessions 16 through 20, you and I talked a little bit about this behind the scenes, but 16 through 20 are now where the student is writing the drum part. So that's what they're being judged on. So now they have a drumless track. I give them some guidelines. Maybe it's a basic guideline of like, okay, this has to have a very, very simple verse. And then I need it to be contrasted with a really bombastic, chaotic chorus. So those are the mm-hmm. guidelines rather than showing them the grooves, the fills, and then I'll run them through the song, the arrangement, like, Hey, make sure you remember there's a two beat break after this chorus that serves no purpose, but it's there, that kind of stuff. And then really they're off to the races. And what's really cool about these. So I, I just finished uh, session 20. So now sessions one through 20 are completely done. This was always the vision years ago in my head. It's finally done. I can start working on new stuff. But what's really cool is the point of sessions 16 through 20. It's not for them to pass it first time. It's actually for them not to pass it. So we can have a back and forth about crafting their drum part. Like mm-hmm. if you nail it first time, like I don't, you're not going to grow from that. So it's, it's about going like, okay, cool. You did the safe version. Honestly, the stuff you and I talk about on this podcast all the time, I'll, so far the advanced drummers that have gotten that far and made it into session 16, no one has passed session 16 yet because it's wow. been constant. Like, Hey, that was great. That was the safe version of this. Now give me some, some more fireworks or, Hey, I didn't really hear any difference between the verse and the chorus. Or sometimes it's just like, Oh man, she nailed that massive note right there. And you didn't support her with a crash. We have to crash right there. So it's really yeah, cool. Yeah. Now we're getting into the real stuff. And so I'm excited. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That that and, and that is the real stuff. And that that's all it's also like there's no wrong or right. Totally. Or it, it is kind of like at that point, you can be the best drummer in the world with all the experience, but that producer might want something different. And you've got to sit there and you've got to listen to them and nod your head, take it in, and then go do it, even if you don't agree with it. And I feel like at that point, the, the point that you're talking about, it's kind of like you learn then to to take criticism, to take advice, yeah. to do things that you probably don't even want to do and completely disagree with, but you, you're like an open book at that point. And that's actually quite tough for a lot of people, I think. Dude, what, you know what I think is the hardest and why I probably wouldn't have made a good long-term session drummer is because I couldn't not take it personally. I would always feel it as like, Oh, you don't like what I did. And the, in the producer's mind, they're like, I don't even care about what you did. I don't, I'm not concerned with you. I have a song and I need this thing and you're the person that plays drums. And so go do it. And, you know, separating that and just being like, okay, well they want something different in this moment. They don't want something better. They want something different. And, Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. And I think it's also really shown how many advanced drummers out there are very advanced at doing what's put in front of them 
But then there's this huge disparity between their skill level and their creative level of like, okay, well, if you got through sessions one through 15, by 15, I was recording these things like nine times in a row just to get it up on the website. Session 16 is a pretty simple song, but you have to write the parts and I'm not telling you what to do. And no one's passed it yet. So it just shows how like, oh man, I got to spend more time writing stuff and not copying stuff and not, you know, only playing in cover bands. But even if you're just in the most once a week, once a month practicing, rehearsing generic uh, original band, that's going to be so good for your musicianship compared to being in like nine top tier cover bands and and function bands. Mate, it's so true. I was talking to... uh... I think it was Steve White okay. a couple of days oh, ago at, the, at the drum camp. Yeah, the Freddie G. And I, we, was, we were saying that. And I think um, we weren't really saying like we we're worried about... Um, actually, it was it was with uh, Craig, uh, Craig Blundell. I was saying like, I'm not worried about the, the future of, of, of like the, the people who do YouTube covers. That sounds kind of intense. But what I, what I meant was like, it definitely makes me think you know how how hard it's going to be for you to tra- transition into an original band or yeah. into a, a a part of a band where you have to create your own stuff if all you've done over the last few years is just do covers and prioritize that you know like even if you adapt covers slightly you're still playing like what other people have written for you right you know which yeah. is and it's a real skill 100 and it's tough man like you said it's it's really really tough it's i mean it's the toughest part because especially when I think if you're not very good at drums, you have a way better shot of being creative because you're just like, I, I got no rules. I'm just doing what I do. Yeah. As soon as you yeah. have all this skill together, you're like, I don't know what to do. And that's when, you know, locking with a bass player. That's like one of the worst things ever is people like saying, cause it's, it's almost the terminology of like global warming. It's like, well, hold on. It's climate change. Our oceans are getting warmer, which is causing massive snowstorms in places that don't get them. So as soon as it's cold, everybody that's never, you know, seen the news just goes, told you, told you it wasn't real. And I'm like, hold on. (laughs) (laughs) And so locking with a bass player is the same thing. It's like, no, you don't play all the bass notes on your kick. Every once in a while you do. But that's like an exception. Really, you're locking to the feel. You're complementing the bass part. You might be filling in the gaps that they're not playing because their frequency is covering so much that you don't want to cover it up. You don't want to double it up. So mm-hmm. that interwoven texture between your right foot and the bass player, that's an art form all in its own. Yeah, man. There's so many like, well, how long is a piece of string? Right. Like, you know, you, 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 there's so many things that can change and like what works for one song or one producer might not work for the next person. And like, like we've been talking about, man, I think when you get to that level of, okay, create, and like you're an amazing drummer and, and you can record well and you, you're playing an amazing kit and the song's great. What's left is to really just become either a sponge or be adaptable or flexible and, and an open book. And yeah. yeah, like we just mentioned, man, that, that can be kind of tricky for a lot of people. 100%. To just not take it personally and, and just go, you know what? Let's do it. Well, <laughs> let's just go. Before we get into that exact topic, which is rehearsals versus practice, I got a little Google search for you. Didn't even give I love you a, a heads Google up search, on this mate. one. You know what I've typed into Google this time? I've typed in drum pad. Ooh. All right. All right. Top questions from people on Google about drum pads. 
Here's the first one. Are drum pads worth it? <laughs> worth it. Yes. Get, just get a, <laughs> Yes. Whatever the cost is. What's the most expensive pad? Probably like the original reflex pad. That was like 70 bucks. How much yeah, use did yeah. you and I get out of that pad? Oh my God, mate. Mine's been through. It's gone everywhere with me. That's yes. helped me through so many situations and made me better. Yeah. Priceless, mate. Absolutely okay, that's priceless. that's the answer. Drum pads are priceless. I think, and I think the best drum pad in the world is the drum pad that you will use. That is all it is. I don't care. If you need to have 24 karat gold on the outside of it to make you use it, go for it. It's fine by me. If you want to use, you know, take off the sole off of one of your old shoes, glue that on a piece of wood. I'm fine with that. Just practice and you're good to go. All right. What are drum pads used for? So this is a good question that I think actually a lot of people have, which is what if I could play a drum set, do I need a pad? Even then, I think so. Yes, a drum set would be better, but a pad isolates the sound of your sticking and the clarity of your notes and the spacing of the notes. So I, I love, even if I have access to a kit all day, I'll still get in pad time. Yeah, mate, mate I'm so happy you said that, mate, because I couldn't agree more. And a good example of that is... uh at the little Freddie G camp that I did, I was getting them to, you know, warm, warm up and I was talking to them as we were warming up and we did paradiddles. Okay. And then I said, right, if this is too slow for some of you, you know, double time. And like, you, you see a few faces go, yeah, I can keep up, mate. Come on, <laughs> this isn't that fast. And then I just go, okay, let me hear that on its own. That's not a paradiddle. <laughs> what is going on there, mate? Do you know what I mean? That is a couple of doubles and a couple of singles chucked in. Like so, like you said, it's kind of like playing the drums naked. Like there's no disguising anything. You cannot hide. Like with a snare, if you have the wires kind of loose, maybe it's a little gushy, and you've got it's surrounded by a bunch of twenty inch crashes that are all sympathetically ringing, and your toms are going bananas. I'm clean as hell. I'm one of the best drummers on the planet. (laughs) You put me on like that old school real feel pad that goes. And it's like, Jesus, there's a grand canyon between some of these notes. And then there's only a sliver of time between some others. So to me, a pad is for really dialing in the clarity of what you're playing. And just, I would say the articulation, the consistency and and really cleaning things up. All right. Third question from Google people is. Um, can you, oh, what a great question. There's no way that any teacher out there hasn't been asked this before, either by a student or a parent. Can you learn the drums with just a practice pad? Whoa. That's a deep question. That is a deep, oh, deep question. I don't even know what uh, uh, I'm going to refer to the expert on the panel, Eddie Thrower. Go ahead. I think <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say yes, but you have to get creative. Oh. I think... It is tricky, but when I, a good example is I didn't learn the drums so, solely on this thing. But basically, when I was a kid, I had one of those like Yamaha. And I actually, if anyone listening has this thing, I want it. I'll buy it. So one with it the like Yamaha. Yes. Yes, I had it too. And I don't have it. Oh my God, mate. Um, and I had that and I lost the pedals for it. So I used to like get home from school and play that. And I had it on my bed. Yep. My desk was here. And I used to play along and just use my hands. And I think that's what helped my hands quite a lot because I was just getting practicing yep. overtime and, and also trying to mimic the whole kit with just two hands. Anyway, um, I learned a hell of a lot about drums and drum beats just from that thing. 
Um, so you have to get creative. But um, the problem you'll have, I think the problem a- anyone will have with learning the drums and, and drum beats on a pad is that the novelty will wear off very quickly yeah. because it sounds rubbish. Yeah. That's the problem you're going to yeah. have. I think, yeah, you, it's like you can, I can learn a drum beat with a fork, my left thigh and my right foot. You know what I mean? On a dinner table. But how long are you going to play can that? Can you learn that? to box from a book? Yes. Until you get punched in the mouth oh god sorry <laughs> sorry, sorry. Hey! okay we'll take uh where was that at uh let me find that in time <laughs> sorry i thought i was just talking to my buddy um 1632 okay i gotta take that out but that is the truth like right i mean you've boxed like yes you can learn to box until you get punched in the mouth and then and then your whole world just changes and you can't feel your hands and so i think that a drum kit can be very similar yes you could learn a lot of things on a pad but when you get on a kit, it's going to be so overwhelming with the volume and the noise and that it doesn't all sound good. You know, a pad sounds Mm -hmm. great everywhere you hit it. You hit a Tom slightly off center and it doesn't sound good anymore. And and then the snare has this like, you know, Timbali 311 sound if you hit it wrong or it sounds thin in certain places. So I would say you truly can't learn the drums on a pad, but you can practice the drums on a pad. So if you learn something on a kit, you can go home, put your practice pad right up next to the bed, have a little, you know, a, a metal tin for a hi-hat and you've got the pad for the snare and you're stomping on the ground. You can practice drums on a pad, but learning it from scratch is tough. At some point, you got to get on a drum set. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the same with electric kits. 100%, 100%. Um, electronic percussive devices. I'm not even going to... You'll be yeah, go. All right, moving on. All right. <laughs> I'm going to get tons of hate for this one. Let's go in on spandex. <laughs> Dude, I saw some comedian go off. He's like, I don't need some old man showing his balls in a Spider-Man outfit riding past me. On- <laughs> and then he said the worst comment ever. He's like, you expect me to look up from my phone while I'm driving to pay attention to you? And I was like, okay. <laughs> okay. Unfortunately, that's too true. Moving on. It is time. <laughs> For our main topic, main topic is rehearsals versus practice. And that's because Eddie is getting ready to start rehearsals for an arena tour. And so this is such a perfect time to talk about the difference between practicing or even writing all the stuff that we think is rehearsing. There's a difference between rehearsing and practicing. To me, the biggest thing that separates the two is practicing is is doing it with nothing on the horizon. You're just doing it rehearsing mm-hmm. is because there's something coming up and you're getting ready for that thing. Yeah, exactly. And for me, like rehearsing is kind of like, you know, it, it's like a dress rehearsal, you know, you, you've just got to do what you're going to do consistently. So you get used to it. And I know that sounds obvious, but like it's less creative than when, a writing session. Oh mate, Yeah. Massively. Or, or like learning a set or whatever it may be like rehearsals are, you know, the individual parts and you're practicing it in co- context and exactly the same way that you're going to play it. And that that's a big one for me. That's why I like, even, even if I am learning a new song, let's say there's 10 songs and uh, one of them is brand new. I will spend the same amount of time on all of them equally, even though I know one less than the really? other. Because I feel like, okay. yeah, I don't know. I just feel one thing about rehearsing for me is like, I mean, in in my little drum container, for example, uh, what I'm going to be doing tomorrow and Sunday before the rehearsals on Monday, 
I'll have the lights off, a little candle going, and I will practice the set in order. And I won't give any specific song or feel or whatever it may be any more time than the rest. Okay. I'll just keep on going and going and going because it's that muscle memory for me, especially with a show. It's like, I want to practice it in context and I want to get to the show having made sure that it feels the same. I know exactly what to expect. I know where it's going, what's coming next. And I feel like if you play around with that too much, which is practicing as opposed to rehearsing, it's going to throw you off. Well, I think that you make a really good point too. And this is where a lot of us go wrong. I would definitely put myself in this camp of people that do this the wrong way. Let's say you're playing through a song and you mess up a part. Then you go back and you do it 20 times in a row to be like, I'm never going to mess that up. But that's not the reality. Like, you're not, when you go to play the show, you won't get to do that part 20 times in a row. You have to do it yeah. with with nine other songs buffering it, like in between it, you have to do it fresh. And so I think the way you do it is the right way. Cause it's like, yeah, I won't know if I even have it down unless I can do it after playing three other songs and it just shows up on its own. Otherwise yeah. I can only do it if I play it 20 times in a row, which isn't being able to do it. Exactly. And like when it comes to a show, like no matter the level really, you want to walk into it. When the lights go down, you want to consciously, subconsciously, physically, mentally know what's going to happen. It's like a theatre, you know, like you want to know your lines. You don't want to practice the ending right. more than the start. Right. And then, you know, the 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 some of the dialogue more than the next. You want to run it from start to finish. You know, you literally want to press play and go to the end. It's like playing an album, like start to finish. Wow. That's the way I see it anyway. No, I think that's amazing. So I have a question. Rehearsals start on Monday. This is for a very, very massive tour, which most of us would never get any intel on this world and have no idea about it. What is a typical day of rehearsals like? How long is the day? What time does, is it on musician time? Do you guys start at like six in the the evening? No, so this, so it's like, uh, well, we'll probably decide on the first day, but I'm, I'll be there from like 9 a.m. Okay. And I think we'll probably start from 10 and go to about five or six okay. or maybe even later. It depends, but like it's a full, it's a full work full day. day, okay, full work day. And it really depends on like, um, a few things really like the, the first week we're going to be practicing for three weeks. Um, really the first week. Yeah, so the first few wow. days are going to be, okay, let's get the tracks level. Like, let's sort out the levels in the tracks. Like, we need to establish what is loud, if that makes sense. Yep. So what, how, how loud is Charlie's guitar in the main mix? And then we adapt the, the track to mold and, and suit that. So it's a lot of, it's kind of painful within the first few days, to be honest, mate. Because you're like, you're like, cool, let's run, uh, let's run this song. Let's go. And then it gets to the verse. Ooh, that's way too loud. All right, let's stop. We'll bring that down. We'll go again. Whoa, that BV is way too loud. And like what I try to tell everyone and myself. BV is like, would be background me- vocal? Yeah, just, yeah, background vocals. Just yeah. Help, the, help the folks out there. <laughs> Mr. Cool. <laughs> Mr. Backing vocals. Yeah. But what I try to like say to myself as well is like, right, take a mental note just so we can get through the whole song. And then we can go back, but it never happens. Like if something comes in that's too loud, it's like, it's like we've dropped, I don't know, a a plate in the middle of the room and we've got to clear it up before we carry on. So it's kind of a long process, but 
Um, in all the rehearsals I've done, it's like a proper day. So like 10 to 6, 10 to 5 with a lunch in in the middle. Wow. And it's a proper like day's work. And where, really. not, <clears throat> don't give me the specific location, but does this happen in a sound stage? Does this happen in somebody's house, a practice space? Where do these things normally take place for this level? Uh, yeah, in, in like a rehearsal room. Okay. So... Luckily in London, because we live near London, there's, there's a bunch of them. Yeah. Like, same as LA, really. Totally. You know, you've got these like big rehearsal rooms where um, there's a there's kind of one or two big, big rooms yeah. and then they get smaller and smaller and smaller. Yep. But it's wicked, man. You've got your own kitchen, you've got your own toilet, you've got your own living room and all that kind of stuff. And you make it your home for the sort of next three weeks. But if it was up to me, mate, it would be a four week rehearsal easily. Three weeks, I'm like, oh God. Wow. We've got we've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. Now, is there a sense, uh, not a sense, but is there an aspect, especially for the the guys and you, I guess, but of physical, I mean, this is a huge show. Like, is there a cardio aspect to this? Like, do you guys have to make sure that you're not cotton mouthed up and like wrecked? Yeah. These guys aren't kids <laughs> anymore, right? I know, mate, exactly. It's funny you say that because I was with Matt, the bass player, not yesterday, the day before, and he was like, I've changed all my training. And he's a training freak. He trains every day. Really? He was like, pure cardio. Yeah. Charlie was saying like, you know, is the keto thing a good idea? And I was like, well, I don't know, mate. These these rehearsals are going to be long. Like, you've got to be, you got to have some energy, mate. Like carbohydrates? <laughs> like a bit of carb in there. <laughs> yeah. Come on, baby. Bit of sweet potato. Exactly. They can something. be good carbs, but you got to have some energy. Exactly, man. So... So that's what like a a, a sort of um, profession, a professional rehearsal sure. kind of sounds like and feels like, and they're they're intense, man. They're intense. But the good thing about this one specifically is we've we've played all of the songs before, apart from one of them. Okay. So we can go in. Actually, two of them. We've never played them up, but <laughs> um, we'll go into that and and yeah, we'll take it as we as we go, man. But I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be cool. And selfishly for me. Rona and Trav, my my wife and my son, are going up to Scotland for like a week and a half. So I'm going to be there early to a late, mate. When the boys go home, mate, I'm going to go again. Really? I'm going to go again. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll be there. Late. You're going to be yeah. in like some really good drum shape because it is so hard for both. I mean, I don't think anyone knows this, but one of the reasons I say yes to a lot of things, the, the truth is, I don't enjoy the pressure of drum festivals. I, I'll just admit it right now. I love being there on stage. As soon as I'm on stage, everything's great because I get to do what I do, but it's still nowhere near the joy that I get out of a drum camp or even filming a lesson. But I know that at this point in my career, I won't practice that obsessively without something on the schedule to be like, okay, I'm actually scared. I'm not even going to hide. Like this is kind of making me nervous, babe. I love you. I'm coming home late because I got to practice. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah. but, I mean, you're going to be in great drum shape because you haven't had to play eight hours of drums in a very long time, you know, probably since yeah. COVID. So this is pretty awesome. It is, man. And I'm looking forward to it. Like I've um, ordered like a GoPro, um, ordered like a new phone. So I've got one for video. Like yeah. I'm, it, It's like, I've just got, what's really cool about this tour in, in a selfish drum point of view as well is that, mate, I, I said to my drum technique, I was like, mate, I'll pay you extra. Like, I don't care. Just make, like, if I give you all my GoPros, you set it up every night, you put them all onto a hard drive every night and you do that every single night of the tour. So when the tour's done, I've got like a million videos. Yeah. Um, so it's cool because I'm, I've, it's been it's been years really since I've had to 
have that footage to look back and be like, cool, this is this is like me playing and this is what I look like and sound like. Do you think that there's also maybe uh, an element of just appreciating it more since since we now know the world can snap their fingers and Thanos it all away? Oh, yeah. Massively. I mean, like before yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. oh, well, I'll, I'll take video next time. I'll take video on the next tour. I'll take pictures. Now it's like, dude, you don't know when this is going to happen again. This is amazing. This is huge, huge stuff. So yeah. you got to take advantage of it. You got to capture the memories. Um, you know, like, yeah, yeah, I think I think it's just going to be amazing. Yeah, man. So what did you so what was your rehearsal like for the uh, Mono Drum Festival? Was that like, did you rehearse it? Or did you just practice certain parts? Yeah, so that, that's a really good question. Um, so the practicing definitely came with the 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 song that I had to play at the end, which was written by my student, Jared Gibson, because that was the new thing making its way into my set. And then as I'm practicing it, I'm like, man, this is such a cool thing, but I, I really want to make this whole thing about teaching. So we, know, we all know the story that like I wanted my students to be there on stage with me. Obviously that can't happen. So I filmed them all. Um, so really a lot of it came down to knowing, okay, I'm going to be hitting really hard. So I'm going to have to bring in some cardio because I'm going to play this song as if it was an old Simon says track. Like I want to, I want to smash this thing. I even had mine all like change out my symbols. Like, okay, I was going to use these symbols. Actually, I'm going to need a crash on the left. Cause I'm just going to hit. So anyways, um, so th- there was some cardio aspect to that. There was me in this place all by myself playing way louder. I haven't sweat in here. I mean, you know, I keep it at like 40 degrees of our yeah, degrees, yeah. not yours. Um, yeah. <laughs> I keep it right above freezing. I haven't sweat in here in years, but I was sweating to the oldies. So um, there was a little bit of the physical side of things for sure. And then at some point, probably about two weeks before the festival or before leaving, that's when you switch from practice to rehearsal. Okay, I've done all the work. I can play all the parts. I can make it through the songs without messing up. I know what I'm going to do. Now, in a room by myself, I'm going to literally go out into the lobby and I'm going to walk from the lobby onto the stage as if people are clapping because someone just said, and now up, Mike Johnston. And I literally walk onto my little tiny stage. I've got lights. I have. I turn my aperture lights up to 100 so I can barely see anything. And, I, and that's bright. It's bright. It's, yeah. As, as we learned when we first started this podcast and you thought <laughs> you thought that it was supposed to be on at full power and you're like, eh, I've got my lens is at F9. I'm still overexposed. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you could turn that down to 20 percent, dude. Um, so, yeah. So I that's I walk out on there and onto my little tiny stage and I just start going. That's rehearsing the whole thing for me. And then the biggest thing is playing and really, you know, going all in and jumping up immediately from the kit, rocking to the front of the stage and start speaking and just seeing how out of breath am I? Am I going to have to buy there? I might need to put something into this clinic that buys me time from hitting the last note until I speak. That could be that I add something onto my laptop that's just like an after track, like a little segue. But something has to happen to give me 30 seconds to catch my breath. Otherwise, I'm going to sound like I'm huffing and puffing on the microphone, which isn't cool at all. So those are the things that I'm trying to the way that you guys want to make your set perfect for the audience. The one thing I want for an audience in a drum festival is for them never once to question whether they're in good hands. I want that audience to feel so safe, like, well, he's got this. He's fine. So even if there's something, a malfunction or a mess up, or I press the space bar and my track doesn't start, I have 
like one liners for all of that because it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. happens every time, yeah. you know, like a, a cable gets jiggled. Something happens. I was fully prepared for the end finale to not work. And for like, okay, I'm going to put my students up on the screen and I've told the audience and I talked about on the podcast. And then I was literally expecting just like some random cartoon of Bugs Bunny to show up and be like, all right, we got to get through this. It's happening. Um, So, yeah. So, so that's how, like for me, a rehearsal is really just a dress rehearsal, but that's so different than practicing. Practicing is trying to improve. at something that I'm struggling with. Rehearsal is I can do it all but can I do it in the moment? And that's where the mind games come in, right? Because you start thinking, dude, I could do this. And it's like, okay, well, what if Travis Barker is in town when you guys play and he wants to show up? Did you practice that in your mind? What it would be like to have your hero standing side stage? Like those are the things that rehearsal is is about is, is running through all the possible permutations of what could go right, what could go wrong, what could be a variable and being ready mm-hmm. for it. So when that thing happens, like, oh, I'm filling in for this huge band and the drummer's left-handed. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, well, exactly. All right, here we go. <laughs> I also feel like, you, especially a tour, right? And I bet you found this. I've never done a, actually, I've done one clinic tour, but it was only, it was only like four days or something. But I bet you found this on a clinic tour because you're doing a lot of speaking. So probably more so than a, than a live show tour playing in a band. But you know, like you, you don't know where your head's going to be at night to night. And totally. so mentally and physically, right? So like you could be feeling tired, which then when you're tired, you might either be really chilled, like you've smoked loads of weed, or you might be an anxious wreck yeah. and be like convincing yourself you don't know the music and you don't know what you're going to talk about. So like yeah. those are things that rehearsals are great for because it's, it's pure muscle memory. It's like, right. Let's play, press play. And then you go all the way to the end and you do that mm-hmm. and you keep on doing that. So no matter if you're tired and anxious or full of life yep. and moving it a million miles an hour, like whatever happens to your physical is just the same. Do you know what 100%. I mean? It's like you have just to have the same set at 10 a.m. that you have after lunch when you're lethargic. And then when you're finally back up at, you know, 6.30 p.m. Because that's the other thing too is, I know you've dealt with this, but when I've done TV stuff, it never happens when you thought, I thought like, oh, it's Dave Letterman show. It happens at 11 PM. I'll be wired. And they're like, oh no, <laughs> we shoot at three. I'm like in the afternoon. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm not, I'm a musician at that point in my life. It's like, I'm a musician. I'm not even awake by that time. Yeah. And so, but yeah. it's like, well, you're on stage and, and you have to, people are going to watch this at 11 and think it is 11 when you did this. So mm-hmm. That whole thing is, you know, like you said, I think that's a perfect way to describe it. You just have to be ready for anything and everything. And at some point you also just have to be confident, like, okay, we've put in the work. Now let's just go do it. I used to dread festival season with a new set. Like, oh my God. So what we always try to do, I don't know whether you guys probably did it in in the States as well, but like, let's say you've got Reading Elite, right? A big... Uh, festival appearance and you haven't done any shows prior which is normally the case because when you do like a big festival like that and you're kind of high up they want to keep it keep it exclusive yeah. so you're, you're not actually allowed to play any shows near the time so let, let's say you've created like a new set list like what we used to do was then find like a tiny venue somewhere and do a festival warm-up show and and because it's so small the the festivals kind of let you do it because it's only like 150 people, 200 people or whatever. 
But I used to dread when we never used to have those because it's yeah. exactly, it's the exact opposite of what I'm saying. Like, you don't know how that set's going to flow. You're, you're nervous. Yeah. Like, all, all of the feelings of a show are in there. and But you don't know what that set feels like. You haven't rehearsed it enough to, in front of an audience, to adapt it. And I remember we did a show, uh, a festival warm-up show, and we got a lot of stick for it after. Fans came out and they were like, boys, that was too short. Like, really? A bit of bit of hate on Twitter being like, this is, what's that about? And we were like, guys, it, it was a festival warm-up. That was the whole point. We like promoted it. And I, to yeah. be fair, I think it was the promoters. Um, there was a, a bit of lost in translation. But okay. anyway, my point being is like, we specifically put on that show to play the exact same short set that we're playing at this festival right. to see if it works. Um, and for bands who, for anyone in a band, they'll know exactly what I mean. Like, you you know the songs, but you haven't rehearsed that set. Yeah. And it's stressful. Totally. It's stress. I, I have a flyer that someone sent me a little while ago where it was local show and bands you've never heard of. And one of the bands was Traff Gib. And they sent it to us because they knew what it was. Well, Traff Gib was always the name that Simon Says used, which is Big Fart backwards. And so <laughs> that's the band. That's the name we always used for our big show warmups. So it's like, all right, we're booking a, sh- a show at literally at this cafe. At the time we were playing, if we were on our own, we were playing, I would say theaters, like 3000 seaters. But, but we were also on tour with like corn and stuff at that time. So we would just book the smallest venue we could as Traff Gib, as Big Fart, and we would play our set, you know, kind of anonymous. And, and whoever showed up that night got to be like, oh my gosh, that's Simon Says, if it was local. If it was anywhere other than local, no one would know. But still, <laughs> it was kind of one of those things where you have to, you have to, you, it doesn't matter whether it's a cafe or an arena, the adrenaline will be the same, for sure. Like, yeah. you're, you're getting ready to do live playing. I feel, honestly, once I'm walking out on the stage, the... UK drum show, Minel Fest, or a clinic at Graham Russell for our podcast, I always feel the same. It's like, okay, this is it. Um, and I think it's also good for anyone out there that freaks out about nerves. It's such a good thing to feel that way because I don't think I can actually perform my best without that ball of energy that's inside of me. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of love it. Yeah, so do I. It's like this weird thing of... Um, like, oh my God, this, this, am I ready? Am I not? Yeah, I'm ready. No, I'm not. I'm stressed. And no oh, matter yeah. what, there's a moment where they go, no backing out. It's happening. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh <sighs> my God. And I love it, mate. I, I, I live for it as well, mate. And that's what keeps me going, mate. That's why I'll be staying late at rehearsals yes. because, uh, you know, I never want to feel like um, my mate had a saying, actually. What was it? Piss poor, for, piss poor performance leads to something. Anyway, it, it, it basically means that you know, I never want um, to not play well and it be on the fact that I didn't rehearse. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Enough. No, I mean, that's that's it. Preparation equals relaxation. You have to you, you go, have man. to put in those hours because then when you don't do well, it's because you didn't do well. You put in the time you yes. did. You know, sometimes it just doesn't happen. Sometimes the gear all falls apart. Sometimes you're on a, you know, a trampoline rolling riser and just things start separating. It's like, all right, well, this isn't on me. I I put in the work. I did the best I could. And this was the best that I could do. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, everybody, 
We hope you guys enjoyed this. Uh, if you would like to hang out with us over on the Patreon page in the future, just head on over to patreon.com forward slash drum with Mike and Eddie. This podcast is 100% supported by the patrons over there. They are absolutely amazing. But for now, episode 136, Rehearsals versus Practice, is in the can. Ciao, ciao. See you next week. Beautiful. See you next week.